This is a little bit of a departure from the Bible study that we've been on, but this is a topic that came up in conversation and it inspired me to write about it. So you can also find this on the website, which is www.annm2705.com. And the title of it is What is So Bad About Sex? So I'm going to read what I wrote, but if you go to the website, when I mention a scripture verse, then you will be able to, by the website, I have it linked to that scripture, so you can read whatever verse it is in context of the entire chapter, or if you want to read the whole book, whatever. But it gives you a quick link, so that's the benefit of the website over the podcast, but I will mention where the scripture is found. So, getting back to the topic, what is so bad about sex? And this is a quote. According to the analysis, by age 44, 99% of respondents had had sex, and 95% had done so before marriage. Even among those who abstain from sex until age 20 or older, 81% had premarital sex by age 44. This is reality check research. Now, this was done by, I'm not sure if I'll pronounce it correctly, but it's Guttmacher or Guttmacher Institute, and this study was done in 2006. I imagine that number probably went up significantly based on what I see, what I observe in our culture, and about just the, the freedom that's out there, and you know everybody can do what they want to do and so forth. I would anticipate that the 95% before marriage is probably a lot higher than 95%. Even 95% is pretty high. So anyway, getting back to this topic, many people justify sex without marriage by saying, as long as it's two consenting adults, it's a committed relationship. Everyone does it. It's not hurting anyone. We're adults we're going to get married. So that's okay, right? The committed relationship theory. Really? You're so committed. So ask, why are you not married? Apparently there is a reason you aren't. And that involves one or both of you not being committed enough for marriage. So the commitment really isn't a commitment. It's something you're saying to make sex okay. Anyway, then there's the other side. There's the religious people who condemn sex outside of marriage. But what's the basis for this? Where did this rule come from? Why are religious people so strict about this rule? Most people who know this religious rule will not be able to tell anyone why, but they just know that's what they've been taught. That's what religion teaches And so therefore, it becomes a weak reason for the rebellious people who say, I don't agree with religion about this. They may say this because they believe this teaching is old-fashioned, out of date, no longer relevant today, because they were never told why. 
but only told, do not do this. Most people don't seek the answer to know why because they honestly don't want to know why. They don't care why. They don't want to follow the rule anyway. So why bother looking for the why in the religious people who condemn it? So nobody does it. Well, the why is the most important factor behind any decision or rule there is. People could list, you know, if you don't have a why, there, there's no good reason. There's no motivation behind anything. You have to have a why to have motivation. If you're motivated, you absolutely have a why in front of you. If you're not motivated, you don't have a why in front of you. There's a why reason behind everything. So people could list, you know, if somebody gives you a list like there, you could say, why, well, why should I not do this? And people could list the physical risk involved. But then, you know, there's the, the people who are more daring, who are more like risk takers. And they're like, I'm not worried about that. I do this or that. You know, I'm not worried about that. So that doesn't even become a reason why when you list like the physical things, the physical risks that could happen. Um, So I want you to listen to this or read this if you go to the website and let me know what you think after you hear this. We lose our inheritance rights, eternity. This is a quote from scripture. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. That reference is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. We are cast outside of God's kingdom. Here's the quote. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And that's found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15. Inside a marriage is the only place for sex. That is found. This is the quote. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer, and all the sexually immoral. That's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. We lose our inheritance, which is eternity with God. Here's the quote from scripture. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. People who call themselves Christians are believers. This is for you who are Christians or believers. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. 
That's found in 1 Corinthians 5.11. Another reason, we lose our inheritance, eternity with God. Now, think about this. This is like one, two, three, four. This is four separate times that scripture tells us we lose our inheritance or our eternity with God when we do this. So here's the quote. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. This is in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Then we will be cast into the lake the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death following our physical death. Here's the quote. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It affects us personally. This is another reason. It affects us personally. It affects our destination. No one except Jesus and repentance can change this destination for us. Here's the quote. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Next, true Christians or saved Christians don't keep doing this. Here's the quote. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 11. Another reason, feelings mislead us. Seek the truth. Jesus said this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immoral immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. That can be found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. By participating, we are setting ourselves up for the punishment of eternal fire. Here's the quote. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. That was written by Jude, chapter 1, verse 7. Take action. Ask for forgiveness. Help from the Holy Spirit, then resist temptation and become a new creation. In Christ, become saved. Here's the quote. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's from James chapter 1, verse 21. So in reading scripture, 
there is more to some of these words, um, the way it was spoken. Uh, the first time you hear it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'm going to reread this sentence and um, explain some of it. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word. The word is scripture, but the word is also Jesus. And it says, accept the word planted in you. That's Jesus, which can save you. So by the word of God, by the gospel message, by what Jesus did, Jesus is the word. Um, in the first chapter of John, he defines Jesus as the word. And that's what can save us is Jesus. And when it says planted in you, that's receiving the spirit of God. The spirit of God will help us to remain in Christ and as long as we our communication are through prayer and through scripture those are the those are the ways that you can stay in Christ if you're not praying and you're not reading scripture it's easily it easily happens for you to fall back into worldly ways and i personally do not believe in once saved, always saved. I believed it, it's in the condition. And here's a good reason why. It's in Revelation. In the very beginning, there are seven churches. It, there's a lot of symbolism, so that's also something hard for people to understand. But the first church, the first um, churches are um, what Jesus talks about, the condition of the people within the church. And there's a message for every single church. And I think I'm going to do a future podcast on that because over time, I've learned a lot from the book of Revelation. But basically, Jesus is talking to churches. So you would think churches are made up of believers, of Christians, of saved people. Well, Jesus is telling them, if you don't repent, and then he gives like, what's going to happen? And there's a part in there where he even says like, blot you out of the name, uh, out of the book of your blot your name out of the book of life. And then also in Re Revelation further on, it says that the book of uh, the book book will be open and anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be thrown into that burning fiery lake of sulfur. So there's multiple times about the book of life. So our life on earth is being documented. And those who are not in Christ, who do not have the Holy Spirit, who are not saved, will, they don't just get out of, you know, they don't say, oh, well, I just don't want Jesus and I'll just deal with it. You know, God can judge me. You know, you hear a lot of people say that. That's true. That will happen. You don't have to be in Christ. But you know what you're going to get judged on? You're going to get judged on God's law. And no one can keep God's law perfectly. So therefore, that means you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you break any of God's laws, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The only way that you can be saved is by surrendering your will to God's will, asking for the Holy Spirit from Jesus, and trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus' blood from his death covers us, similar to how the 
uh, Israelites were covered by the blood of the lamb at Passover when they were coming out of Egypt, out of the slavery of Egypt. And there was an angel of death that went about through the town and killed all the firstborn. But the Israelites who listened and obeyed, they put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost and the angel of death passed over them. That's the whole description of what Passover is. Now that Passover was symbolic of Jesus in the future. Jesus is the lamb. He is symbolically referred to as the lamb in the book of Revelation. He is the lamb who provide the atonement like lambs did in the Old Testament in the Jewish tradition, the sacrifices that were done by bulls, lambs, goats, all those things. Jesus did that. And the only reason that he covers everyone is because he was completely sinless, blameless. He was obedient to God the Father, and he made it possible for us to be in God's kingdom. So I'm getting back to the list again. This is, a, this is for Christians or saved people. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. We have a call to repent if we want to be in God's kingdom. It's time for change. Here's the quote. Put to death, therefore, whatever, bring, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, which is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Then here's one. Wake up. No, grace doesn't allow believers to keep on sinning. Listen to this quote and let that sink in because I'm going to read this again because I see this little uh, grace covering that the church abuses. So I'm telling everybody, wake up. No. Grace doesn't allow believers to keep on sinning. So here's the quote. For certain individuals whom, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. That was written by Jude, chapter 1, verse 4. Then Paul, he's the one who emphasizes grace. He also reminds people that repentance, turning away from sin, is required. Here is the quote from Paul. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. That's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Now, I think this is the fourth or fifth time that it says, we will not inherit the kingdom of God if we don't stop. So here's a quote. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. The day of Jesus' return is getting close. That's even quoted here. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's written about in Romans thir- chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. Repentance, asking forgiveness from God, the Holy Spirit's help, and stopping the sin is required. This is describing those who survived the plague. God is still giving them more time, but still, here's the quote, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. That can be found in Revelation chapter 9, verse 21. So this is in the middle of like experiencing terrible times and people at that point still do not repent. They do not change their ways. And God is still giving them more time because obviously when this is going on, God's giving them time to repent. As long as we're alive, we have time to change the way we lived. And God forgives people when they're sincerely asking for forgiveness. So you get forgiven and then you don't do it again. So, and if you mess up and you do it again, you need to ask for repentance because you're not just automatically covered by grace. You need to stop it. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to change your ways and not do it again. So then getting back to this list, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Jesus said, for it is written, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder. That's found in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. So the stuff that we do comes from inside. So don't let your feelings or what's in your heart, your feelings run your life. A lot of people say, you know, I'm guide from within or whatever. Well, that's a whole lot of trouble if you let yourself be guided from within. What you need is God. What you need to know is the truth. Don't be satisfied with all this like crazy stuff that isn't going to mean anything in the future except for your eternal placement. Seek God right now because anything that you follow other than the word of God is going to leave you wanting and wishing that you hadn't done that. Because prophecy tells us that's what's going to happen. And we know that prophecy is accurate because part of prophecy has already happened. There is still prophecy that remains to unfold, to happen. And it it really does seem like it's um, building up right now. Like so many end times prophecies are 
reaching their culmination. They aren't there yet, but they're reaching. And I can see it in so many ways. It's like, like everything that's talked about in the future, like, for example, like a, a global governance, we can see that we're, we're getting to that point. Um, we can see that there's a push to have uh, control over people. And um, we have technology now where you can put something in your hand and you can use it to buy things, to buy and sell. And the future prophecy tells us there is going to be a mark of the beast. And the beast is symbolic. The beast is a global governance type thing, a, glo a global governance entity that's going to force all people to take a mark of the beast. They're going to have a false prophet or a false religious figure that's going to be pushing this for all people to accept it. And it's, um, so we already have the technology. The Bible talks about it. Now, back when the Bible was written in 90 AD, do you think they had chips that you could stick in your hand and you could buy and sell things? I mean, this is prophecy that's coming to fruition. Then you have, you know, the talk of the Antichrist. There is going to be a person who claims to be God on the holy ground and is going to cause extreme turmoil in the world. And they are going to have a... Um, there, you know, that's that's when everybody's going to know that after that, there's three and a half years, 1,260 days before Jesus returns when that happens. So the time will be very short at that point, and it's going to be very chaotic at that point also. There's also talk, um, the Temple Institute has plans already prepared for the third temple. The third temple was written about in Ezekiel. I think it might be, uh, it's toward the latter part, um, somewhere like maybe 36, maybe 40. I can't remember which chapter it is, but it's toward the end of the book of Ezekiel, who is a prophet and talks about um, this temple. And it it's not just like there's people who say, well, it's just a spiritual temple. Uh-uh, no, because he gives, first of all, when he received this revelation, God told him to write down everything in detail. And this is very, very detailed, the description, the architecture of this temple that Ezekiel was told to write down. And today, there are plans that were done according to Ezekiel's prophecy. And uh, they, they are prepared. And there is the Temple Institute, which is raising funds so that the temple can be built. They already have everything prepared for the temple, all the internal housing things. Um, there's a huge menorah that's on the Temple Mount currently enclosed in some sort of a glass structure that will be placed inside. The intention is that it will be placed inside the temple once it's built. Um, there are a lot of people that are working towards this. There's been training of the priest. Then again, you have another thing that happened. It's been 2,000 years since a red heifer was used as a sacrifice. And the red heifer in Jewish custom tradition was uh, sacrificed so that the ashes could provide atonement for the Jewish people. and But there was a criteria about this red heifer. The red heifer had to be without blemish. And they had these 
in the past, many, many years ago, they had these red heifers that they would sacrifice. But for 2,000 years, they have not been able to find one that was without blemish. So the Jewish people are concerned that they don't have atonement because they need the ashes of a red heifer in according to the Old Testament so that they can provide atonement because they are blind to the fact that Jesus did that for them. But they are planning on doing this at some point. And ironically, in 2020, the, I don't know if it was 2020, maybe 2021. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but recently, it was after 2020, um, there were red heifers, there were five of them that were without blemish. They actually were shipped to Israel and are currently in Israel. I don't know how many of them are still without blemish, but they are, that's something else that you can look for and it's in prophecy. So the red heifer being sacrificed is going to be required to cleanse the priests and the people so that they can actually build the temple. So you have the preparation. Um, then you also have the pool of Siloam um, that was recently discovered. Uh, people didn't know that it existed. And this is where people went to be cleansed and where Jesus told the blind man to go wash his eyes. And then he received his sight after having lived his whole life blind, but then was miraculously healed. Well, that has been uncovered. That is also something there's water from that that it takes place into this custom and tradition. And so there are, like I said, so many things in Bible prophecy that are currently happening. You can check online, you can search and find, you know, current information about those things. But those are some examples that come to mind right now from prophecies that were written about, I want to say, uh, you know, 1500 years ago or so. Um, I can't remember. It was like something BC when Ezekiel was written. And those things are coming to fruition today. The other thing to remember, or not to remember, but to know, is that God's timeline is not the same as our timeline. So people say, oh, we've known about this forever. It's never happened. It's not going to happen. You know, everybody keeps looking for this, but it's never going to happen. Well, a couple times in scripture, it says, a day to God is like a thousand years. So, and there's many references. In fact, this Messiah 2030 video, you can search that on, um, kind of goes through all of the biblical support for the, basically the three days. There's so much symbolism throughout the Bible that points to a three day and which is like 3000 years. So look at where we are today. We are 2020. We are in the second day and um, our calendars are all messed up. So I don't know if anybody's going to get the date right. But on the third day, that's more than likely going to be the day that Jesus is king and reigns on earth for a thousand years. That's probably going to be the third day. So we are into the second day right now. And, you know, the, who knows about the timing of when it's going to happen. Um, but biblically speaking, um, we are, and then there's also like 6,000 years too. And I know from the Jewish calendar, we're in year 5784. So there's, um, it's coming in the future. We don't know when, but we can see signs that it's coming up. Now, how long it will take to have these things fulfilled, who knows, but keep watching. Those are things to watch for. But it certainly feels like, and then there's lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. We also have 
uh, the Jewish people um, looking for the Messiah. We have the Muslim people looking for their Mahdi. And all of these, there's a lot of similarities about what happens at the end of the time, end of times, and it's happening right now in our world today. And for those reasons, those are reasons that you need to not take this lightly. So getting back to the list, I know I kind of went off, I don't know where I left off here, but I'm just going to say, um, I think it was this next one. Uh, when we have the Holy Spirit, once we truly sur surrender our will to God's will, our lives will change. When we truly do it, they will. the life will change, and you'll be a different person than you've expected. You'll say, you'll maybe be doing things in a good way that you would say, I never would have done this before. Um, that was my personal experience. But anyway, getting to the quote um, about when we have the Holy Spirit, once we, are true, once we truly surrender our will to God's will, our lives will change. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And I like to stop and, and emphasize this too. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. What's the reason? What's the why? So that you may pray. Prayer of the righteous person is very powerful. And anyone who is truly saved needs to pray. Pray for continued uh, remaining in Christ until his return and pray for all others, whatever stage other people are at, so that they can be in eternity too. But the prayers of the righteous, the people who are, who are saved, who are on their way to righteousness, not fully righteous yet, but those who have surrendered, everyone owes it to others to pray for them, to pray for that same thing, to have to happen to those they love and care about. Then um, the next thing, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And then lastly, God receives us with love and happiness when we truly repent, when we change and we turn to God in obedience. And here's the quote. I believe Jesus said this. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property, and it's not talking about Jesus, it's talking about um, a uh, 
someone who was rebellious against their father. So this is, this is the son that's being spoken of. Um, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, back in the old time, this was a celebration. So, and it says something about like, well, first of all, Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one lost. And it talks about like the angels in heaven and the people in heaven um, rejoice when one sinner turns back because that's one more that will be in kingdom. Everyone who is in the heavenly realms, who is with God, and I say everyone, I mean like spiritual beings, things that we haven't seen before, but there is more to creation than humans. Um, we know about angels from scripture, and then we also know about cherubims, and we know about other entities that from scripture that different prophets had seen in visions given to them by God. But there is a lot more than what we have seen and what we know about that is in the heavenly realms. But it says in scripture that they rejoice when someone turns away from sin. There's a celebration that goes on. There, There's happiness. So that's what God wants. God God created us to be to be perfect. And then we chose to sin to go against God, but God wants that relationship restored. He wants us in eternity, but he wants to see, do we want that? He loves us. Do we love him back? We show love by obeying God's commands. Jesus said that if you want to show love, show it by obeying me. And that's how we show God that we love him. That's what God wants to see. Who loves God? That's what he's looking at. That's why we're tested. That's why we have to go through troubles. If we're on the wrong path, if we're on the wide path that leads to destruction, God's going to let some things come into our life that shake us up because he wants us to wake up. He wants us to get on that narrow path, and he wants us to be in his kingdom. So about all of these quotes, there's another quote in scripture that talks about, you know, what about believing in things, okay? So it says, but never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must always be two or three witnesses. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. Now, this can be talking about a physical death when somebody is on a death trial, but it could also be talked about in a spiritual sense, about when, um, you know, about what God says about us and about eternity. So if we think about having more than one witness, so we look at scripture, we realize that scripture was made up of 40 different authors, but then just the, the verses that I had quoted and read to you that I found in scripture, and there are many more, just those alone are witnesses to the truth of God. So let's think about that. Uh, we are warned by more than three witnesses because all those quotes that I read to you were statements by Jesus, Paul, James, Jude, Peter, and John. Those were all people that told us those things. So we have just in those verses, and like I said, there's more in scripture besides what I put out there, but there's, those are, that's six people right there. Six people, um, one of which is God, that is telling us this what I had just read to you. So in those references above showing us the truth, this is the why. Why do we need to 
not have sex outside of marriage. Those are all the reasons why. All people need to know why, because it may make a difference to some, but it won't to all. We also know that from scripture. And there are even more witnesses to this truth found in the Bible than are shown above. So some people, even if they hear this, are still not going to choose to change. And you know what? We don't force people to do that because this is only for awareness. Everybody needs to be accountable for their own actions and needs to make, this is between a person and God. This is a choice between a person and God. We may want something for someone, but maybe they don't want it. Maybe I, I don't understand why people wouldn't want it, but that's their choice. And there's nothing that any of us can do to change anyone else. It has to be a personal decision. So this is only for awareness and it's up to you what you want to do with this information. And this is meant for the 95% of people having sex outside of marriage. Pretty much the majority of people, if you look at that 2006 uh, study that was done. This is one, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest threats for people who are currently deceived by the world's permissive culture. Everyone needs to know the truth and make a decision before it's too late. Share this with others you care about. This summary is meant to save people from condemnation and judgment. Anyone reading this has time right now to repent, which means ask God for forgiveness of the past. Ask Jesus to give the Holy Spirit so that we can receive the help of the Holy Spirit to remain in Christ, which is meaning obedient to God's commands, Choose to do what is right, God's will, heading into the future next time with the help of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Jesus has provided us the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God when he died on the cross for us, breaking the curse of death for all who have sinned and he rose from the dead. If you believe this and repent, as explained above, you will be saved and you can be certain that you will be in God's kingdom.